five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome back to another episode of the Teacher's Diaries podcast, episode uh, number three, double O three. I don't know why I keep using the double O three. You'll get to double O seven soon enough. I just like using double O three. Yeah. Um, very special guest, number one guest for the podcast on the show today, uh, a guy who I've known for a few years now, a guy who's a very good mate of mine, and who is an awesome teacher. Oh, mate, what an intro. Well, ultimately, it's, it's a, a great pleasure to be here with Liam. It um, should shed a great insight on, on what it's like to be a, a beginning teacher, and um, and we'll have a good good yarn about you know our experiences and, and what we've done and the mistakes we've made and, and uh, yeah, the things that, that we've done in our first year out. All right, so before we get into the show, let's roll the intro. Welcome back to uh, episode number three of the Teacher Diaries podcast. Um, if you haven't checked in, episode number two was released yesterday. It was an interview, or an interview, I was by myself, it wasn't an interview, of um, the GRP, or the Graduate Recruitment Program, mm-hmm. DET, suitability interview. If you haven't checked it out, um, go check it out. There's a few tips on there for you guys, or those who are going to do their interview, or will be up soon that you may be able to take advantage of. Um, what was your experience with your GRP interview, mate? It was actually pretty good. Um, like, we'd prepared for it um, really heavily whilst we were at uni. We had some mock interviews, and I think that was a, one of the best things that you can do is get that experience of, uh, of, of being interviewed in the hot seat and uh, being able to answer those questions that they might potentially ask. So I thought it was a, a really relaxed, really, really good experience. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of people that, that build it up as this um, bigger than Ben Hur sort of experience, and, and it can get quite daunting for some. Because you were actually uh, targeted as well, weren't you? Yeah, so I got like Liam was was targeted. Obviously, um, like like Liam, I, I was targeted too. I got targeted for for some country roles, um, which at the time would would have been fantastic because Liam and I would would love to have, have started off in the country. But you know, as as um, life goes on and, and you, you get a missus and, and things like that you've really got to consider uh, where they want to want to live and and where they can develop professionally as well so I turned down uh, two roles one for, for Griffith High School and another one out at Tamworth um, but I've been lucky enough to to get myself into a, a private school up on the, the north shore of Sydney so um, still ultimately an amazing experience but um, yeah targeted for the, the grad recruit um, so we both went through the interviews and you got to sort of showcase why you're an amazing teacher and, and, and better than all the other PE teachers out in, in Sydney as well. Um, yeah, but some people definitely build it up as this this uh, hard thing to, to go through. Uh, but if you pe- prepare enough, um, you, you're definitely being in good, uh, good stead to, to go through it. Yeah, I know. I was pretty um, keen to get out to the country and teach out there. Uh, funnily enough, I got quite the opposite. Yeah. Got targeted and placed in um, eastern suburbs. Yeah. But yeah, I was quite keen to get out and start my teaching career out mm. in the country. I know when I went for my interview, the principal, whoever um, that was interviewing me, uh, had the same idea. He yeah. said to me during the interview, have you ever thought about going country? And I was like, yeah, for sure. And went on the big spiel about why I want to go to the country. Mm. And then just up and nowhere, he's like, all right, let's go. Yeah. Takes me out of the room, takes me to the office. The reception lady isn't there doing her work, kicks her off the computer and then starts going on like that um, Teach New South Wales job site yeah. and starts searching for jobs. And I'm just like, brother. And that's the can- thing. If, if you're stuck for a, a teaching job and, and you really want something that's really permanent, to take a country role would be fantastic because there's so many out there. If you go through that, was it Teach New South Wales, um, the job feed on there, there, there are limitless country jobs on there all the time. 
and what a, it would be an awesome experience i think moving out to the country and and em, embracing that school out there and getting into that uh community as well because it's massive out there it's that whole community vibe i mm. feel that's what really drawed uh me to the country was just that community feel that community vibe yeah and i guess teachers are very they're very respected out there yeah not so much in the city yeah not so much in the city yeah, but yeah. they're very um they're an integral member part of the community out mm. there i feel so i thought being able to get involved you know i mean in the community with the sports teams and just having that going to the shops and knowing yeah people. And i think uh, that's the thing as a teacher you, you get so involved in the local community that you're teaching in and and it goes beyond just the classroom. It's something that, you know, it, it does take over your life. It, it really is encompassing because you build these relationships and rapport, not only with just your students, but you get the, the families and, and the parents. You've got the other teachers, your colleagues as well. So it is this really all-encompassing role. Um, and that very evident in the country, but you still get that in the city too. Yeah, no, I definitely think you hit the nail on the head there. Um Episode number one was obviously my introduction episode, mm. and I shared my journey. But we have a pretty similar journey. Yeah, yeah, we both started off pretty similar. So we both went to ACU and, and did our exercise science degrees. But even before that, we both went to Catholic high schools yeah. as yeah. well. Then we both transferred, like obviously same year, mm. both transferred into ACU exercise science. Yep. And then from there... You, you finished the year before me. Yep. Only because I was a bit of a special. A bit slow, but that's all right. You get slow. there. You get there in the end. Uh, yeah. Let's just say my bachelor's wasn't my strong suit. But so you finished the year before me, and but then you went on a year hiatus, I guess you would call it. Yeah. And you worked for the AFL. Yeah. So um, I went through and and yeah, as Liam said, finished up at a at a um a, a private school up in in Sydney, and then and then went on to ACU. Um, did exercise science and, and absolutely loved it. Through that time, I sort of started as um, working at after school cares and, and working in different coaching roles and things like that as well. Um, so once I finished the exercise science degree, I started working for the AFL and, and working for Auskick. Um, I was coordinating a lot of the Auskick programs that work with the Swans. So I had a, a really good, good role there, but uh, definitely knew that I wanted to do uh, go down the teaching route um but it was something that i was really passionate about and absolutely loved so i started off doing the grad dip out at acu but um in doing that it was the the last year of the grad dip so i had some pretty hard conversations with people that i knew and teachers that i knew and i was trying to weigh up what would be best for me professionally um to do a, a master's of teaching or to, to complete the grad dip and uh, ultimately settled on on doing the master's the, the year after um and yeah, didn't look back. It was, it was an amazing experience. And, and doing the Masters out at UTS, um, as Liam will say, is, is, was a, a great, great university, great learning experience um, that we both shared. Yeah, so our teaching journeys have taken a very, pretty much the similar road. Yeah, the pretty same similar. same road, you could just say. Yeah. Like, as we said, same sort of, um, well, we didn't go to the same high school, but similar high schools, mm. Bachelor of Exercise Science, masters of teaching yeah. at uts and then even you know prac schools my first prac school was back at your old school yeah, at Kill. yeah so liam went out to my old high school and, and did his first teaching prac out there and then i went out to a, a all boys uh private school up on the, the north shore of sydney and i did my teaching prac out there so yeah very similar paths that we took and um then when we go to our our second teaching prac, we both went to some more sort of lower SES um, schools and and uh, yeah had to sort of face the same sort of challenges um, that, that come with that. Um, so it was really great to sort of have land there and, and have those chats whilst at uni um, to, to get through. Because you were Parramatta, weren't you? Yeah, so I my second teaching prac was in, in Parramatta. It was a school that was going to be uh, demolished the, the year after. Um, so a lot, of, yeah, a lot of the facilities were sort of out of action. So especially for PE where you'd love an, an open field or a sports hall, um, we didn't have those. So you sort of had to think on your feet pretty, uh, pretty quick about what you wanted to do with your lessons um, and how you could sort of alter that into the, into the resources and facilities that you had at hand. It's funny that you speak of resources because going from first prac 
to second prey. Yeah. Like, O'Kill, the resources and the facilities there are beyond... Mm. They're a joke, yeah, really. Yeah, you get, you, know, you get hectares of, of fields and, and sports halls and, and tennis courts and all that, and then second prac, gosh. Mate, there's an indoor swimming pool. Yeah, yeah. No, nah, they're, like, they're pretty blessed out there. It's raining outside. Mm. Let's go for a swim. Yeah, yeah. Like, four or five ovals, a full-on proper cricket pitch, mm. like... The resources yeah. and facilities that Oak Hill have are beyond. And that's They're what I amazing. found with my first prac too. Like I had access to everything. If if I wanted to to play a sport or teach a, a sport, I could do it. They had sort of everything. You go into the storeroom and and it would be just like a, a toy store. You could choose whatever you like and you could get out there and, and play it. Whereas my second prac, gosh, it was um a bit of an eye opener where you get to see how uh, limited some schools are with their resources. So that was um, a very interesting experience, but I learnt a lot from it. Yeah, because our second prac, so my second prac was out southwest Sydney. Mm. So you were Western Sydney, I was southwest Sydney. But as we discussed while we we're on the pracs, like our first pracs was all about teaching strategies. Yeah, because yeah. You're very behavior. limited in any sort of behavioural issues. So you didn't really get, I guess you're not as you're not tested as much. You get to teach a lot, but you don't get challenged too much with um with any sort of behavioural strategies or anything like that. Yeah, you're tested more on your teaching strategies yeah. rather than your behaviour management. Yeah. Was the flip side mm. was the second one. Yeah. Like first prac, I couldn't buy a kid to do something yeah, wrong. Yeah. Second prac, I couldn't buy a kid to do something wrong. Oh, I know. Like yeah. so you you do it's yeah, definitely great learning experiences both ways. But that second prac, I think you really have to get in there and, and build that rapport and, and relationship with the students so that you can see that well they can see that you care and you're really interested in their learning and in their lives. Um and they're really responsive responsive to that. Yeah, and you're saying that like we both discussed this as well. Our second practice will play more more fun. Yeah, you really get to know the, the students on a on another level and um, they're really open and, and keen to, to be in the classroom when you're there and you're very interested in, in what they're doing and you want them to get better at what they're doing. So, no, very, very um, different learning experience, that second prac. Yeah, I had so much fun on my second prac. I know yeah. that the from the school the PE staff to the kids although mm. the demographic was so different it's a challenging different challenging demographic sorry the, the I just had so much fun I love yeah. that place yeah no it was, it was awesome it was a bit uh, bit hard to finish up there even though you sort of go in and it's a bit daunting the first day I had kids swearing at me and I was told that certain certain children in in local gangs and things like that so I sort of thought it's I was a bit nervous for going in, but um, yeah, definitely at the end, they they uh, they really appreciate what you've done in that short time. Yeah, I know when I got first placed at the school at Southwest Sydney, I was like, oh my God, here yeah. we go. Because although I live in these suburbs now, I grew out out there. Southwest yeah, Sydney yeah. is where I grew up. Mm. So I know, like, I knew what I was in for. Yeah, you knew what it was like and out there. And then again, in saying that, I didn't, because I... Whatever I presumed of the place was completely mm. wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like there was the behavior problems and the demographic and the low SES and the disadvantaged kids, but the intangibles of the school are what yeah. make it what it is. Yeah. So I'll give a quick shout out to the 6 8. Mate, get on the 6 That's 8. That's the postcode. Yeah. To my 6 8. How good. 6 8. Yeah, 6 8 repping. <laughs> now moved out to the eastern suburbs. Don't forget the 6 8. Don't no forget bro. the 6 8. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so last episode I talked about the 60 second pitch and yep. the 60 second pitch came from one of our uni classes Yeah, I remember they were saying that you need to develop a 60 second pitch to yeah. pretty much encompass your teaching philosophy your um, why you became a teacher and then finally was because it's going for the interview was why you would make a great graduate teacher and what makes you stand out from everybody else so let's try and dive into you what well why did you become a teacher and that's the thing you you really need to showcase well why are you going to be better than the person sitting next to you because as we've sort of found out it is it is hard to come by um permanent PE roles it's a, a very popular teaching subject to get into and to really sort of be better than the rest ultimately 
um, yeah, you need to make that come across in your 60-second spiel. Um, I don't know why I came a teacher. I was pretty much, as we're going through high school, lots of injuries through sport, spending a lot of time on the sidelines. And, and also in PE, you don't really get to participate to the fullest when, when you got injuries. So you, you do a lot on the sideline. But I did have some really good PE teachers that I really saw of my role models and, and I could see myself doing that. Um, so yeah, went around the uh, exercise science route once I finished, um, took that little bit of time off once I'd, I'd finished the degree and, and really sort of found that passion for, for teaching and educating and, and, uh, and yeah, wanted to go back and explore it uh, more fully. So then, yeah, did the master's, um, ultimately like fantastic degree to do. It's very heavily sort of theory-based, but those pracs, those pracs are some of the best things you could ever do as a, a starting teacher, one of those pre-service teachers. The, the pracs are amazing. So where do you think your passion for teaching comes from? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, ultimately you, you do so much and, and seeing that enjoyment and, and all that out of kids um, when they're outside, being physical and, and PE being one of those subjects where... It, it sticks with you for life where you can have those conversations about your own health and, and making those smarter choices about health and lifestyle decisions um, is a really fantastic one to have. And especially now that there's so much, uh, so much information out there, if you can really be able to, to select the information that's really sort of valid and truthful um, to, to promote and, and have good health would be uh, fantastic. So I think, I think that sort of is where it sparked from. Do you think, do you think our master's degree played any factor in our um, targeted appointments? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, like the master's, it's a great qualification to have, um, and I guess it sets you up for when you do become a teacher, um, because you you very much have all the theories and you do so much theory-based work um, and, and loads of teaching strategies as well. So it sets you up for when you're, you're doing your accreditation and all those sort of things as a teacher. But um, yeah, it was, it was the hard thing I found with the Masters though was just having the two pracs. Um, you don't have that much experience in the classroom. Yeah, I think for me, um, I was 21, I think, when I started the Masters, or well, about 21. Mm. Um, 18 or 17 when I started my bachelor's. Yeah. I was so mature at 17, yeah. 18. And that's it. And when you think if you go into a classroom with uh, year 11, year 12 students, they're sort of all sitting around 17, 18 years old. So I guess having that maturity going in and, and doing the master's and being a little bit older uh, made me feel a bit more comfortable in the classroom because you go there, we are a, a lot older now um, and they can have that more... I guess more sort of respect whereas if you go in really young maybe they just see you as, as one of the boys yeah because I know um, that it was primary school teacher I'm pretty sure but I'm sure it's the same for high school like mm. bachelor degrees that they start prac like three or four weeks in yeah yeah a lot of primary school teachers they're sort of thrown in the deep really early um, it's a great experience to have because the more experience you could have in the classroom the I guess the better edu educator you're going to be because You've been out of the classroom for so long. You, you do your undergrad and then your postgrad, and that's uh, what easy five years, and you haven't been in the classroom. But just like if you're doing prax three or four weeks in, which mm. I think is awesome. But imagine, yeah, you being year twelve, you finished. Yeah, yeah. Four weeks later, you're back at that school. You might not be teaching, mm. but yeah, Still, like being, I know. you're a one year older than these people. Yeah, that you might be. You know, in a few. Yeah, I guess yeah. it would be quite hard. So I feel the the masters and. Because you do being a postgrad mm. postgraduate degree, sorry, you're a little bit older, and I just find for me specifically, the maturity that I yeah. had compared to when I was 18, not that I had a whole lot, yeah, but I knew what I was there for, and I was yeah. more focused on the two years, getting it done, mm. putting in the work, getting out, and setting myself up to yeah. ultimately get what I got, and. Yeah have that permanent position right out of school. Uh, I think that's sorry. it as well. And just the confidence that comes with being a little bit older too. Um, that confidence to sort of get up in, in front of a group of young people um, and speak to them and, and, and have that conversation about sort of health, fitness, well-being, all of that. And, and it goes for other KLAs too. Um, but that confidence, I think, I had a lot more being a little bit older, being in the classroom. 
Yeah, you're definitely more confident in yourself and your abilities mm. and just your ability to deliver what you're delivering. Yeah, yeah, because you really have a sound knowledge now. You, you've built up and, and you know you know your content, you know, you know what you're teaching. You, you've had plenty of years sort of looking at the syllabus and working out programs and activities that are going to work to achieve those, um, those dot points. So I think, yeah, you, you've, the master's definitely geared us up to have an awesome amount of knowledge and then we, if we know our content really well, then we can make the most enjoyable and engaging learning experiences we can. Yeah, because I think as well, doing the bachelor's of exercise science first, transferring that now into teaching and knowing my syllabus, yeah. especially PARS and like for stage six PDH, yeah. when you have factors affecting performance, mm. you have improving performance as an option and then a sports medicine option. Yeah. I just feel now that I have a much deeper breadth of content knowledge and yeah. just a little bit extra that I can provide yeah, in terms of learning to the students with that background of exercise science. Yeah, because like as I was um, saying, we got a, I started off my casual teaching out in the inner west and, and one of the schools that I was at, they offered the uh, IB and ultimately it's so that the, the kids can start off and do their first year of uni whilst they're in high school. And so they offer sports science as one of them. And it is, a, it's something that if you didn't study it and you, you just went for a normal PE um, course, maybe you, you wouldn't have some solid knowledge around that, just around the biomechanics and exercise physiology, um, to have that knowledge and to be able to have it at a university level, um, it puts you in great stead for that. Yeah, I remember doing, I think it was bio one to one first year ex, exercise science. If I didn't do year 12 biology, yeah, that would have been mate, so hard. Physics it would have helped too. I had no physics background either. Oh, that, was, that was tough. Biomechanics was physics and like two unit maths combined. Yeah. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Seeing as I dropped maths in year 10, it was, uh, <laughs> I didn't use the calculator in over two years. So I was definitely um, up the creek in that one. But, you know, when you, you're at uni and you've got some really solid friends around you and it's good to have those just casual discussions and if you need help to put your hand up and get some help because that's what I did and that's what I got through so do you remember I think it was first year of uni of um masters when we got stitched up with that stitched up hard with that stitched up with that elective so we got a couple of electives that you had to pick multi-literacies and multi-modalities that's what the course was called but this course wasn't specifically education based we must have got on late and everything else yeah. was done. This course or this subject was one of the hardest things I have ever done in my life. Yeah. I don't know. I still don't know what it was about. Hey, I remember I first, first lecture, first tutorial. We walk in both footy shorts and, and t-shirt, sports bag. Gosh, we, we could tell straight away that we did not belong here. <laughs> We were the youngest by like 30 years. Oh, by far. Everyone else was either an English or an arts major. They were very passionate about about English literature and the way imagery is used. And we uh, we definitely, <laughs> definitely did not know what we're doing. English is not my strong point. Yeah. I was in class, it was like last week. Mm. We were year nine, so in my selective class. And we're, I can't remember what we're doing, but I wrote to our brochure on the board. Yeah. I spelled brochure wrong. It's a wrong. tough word to spell, though. I can Mate, see how you get it I wrong. spelled brochure wrong, and the kids had to correct me. I was like, ah, this is not good. Yeah, well, there you go. But we passed. We passed the subject. We got by. Funny. Speaking of mm. getting by, when the results came out for that... Yeah, you got a tremendous score somehow. I got a HD. Yeah. I don't know how. I barely passed the two assignments because yeah, the two assignments were set up with a 50% weight in each. I passed both of them barely. I don't know how. But then the results came out. I had a HD next to the name. Yeah, lucky, so huh? somebody at UTS probably lost their job overnight yeah. <laughs> because I did not deserve that They pushed up your GPA there. I didn't earn it, mate. It did work on the GPA. <laughs> Works in your favour, so oh, just keep mate, it on the hush-hush. So whoever lost their job at UTS for giving me a HD for that subject... Jeez. Thanks, yeah. oh, appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, it was a good subject though. Like uh, it definitely showed. Um, it was very humbling for us, I guess. It shows that you don't know everything. Yeah, humbling. I wanted to do Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea what was going yeah. on. Yeah, they had. 
I can barely understand the words. Yeah. I learned the pictures they said I put on. Yeah, I was pretty. It was over your head. I can tell. It was oh, yeah, it was man. massive. Actually, I got stitched up with both my electives. Mm. My second elective was the psychology of adult development. Really, mate. Mate, how'd you get stuck with that one? It was a post grad psychology unit. Yeah. I have no idea. But again, HD. HD. Hey, that wasn't as hard as the UTS just love lame. <laughs> Mate, UTS. <laughs> good place to be. <laughs> um, in saying that, you did your Masters of Secondary Teaching. Yeah, yeah. But you're yeah, putting them to good practice, aren't you? Yep, good practice. Um, started off with a, a few teaching blocks uh, in, in secondary school. But I've uh, worked, worked my way into a, uh, a primary PE role. Which, um, you know, never really thought or occurred to me that I'd, I'd um, go down the, the primary primary teaching route. But, you know, luck would have it. I'd, I'd started uh, coaching out at the school the, the year before and I'd done a lot of casual work there as a, a PE teacher. And um, so when they when they offered me a, a, a PE role there, I, um, yeah, I, I gladly took it. So, yeah, now a primary school teacher but, but trained in, in secondary education. I definitely found out really quick, though, that uh, it's, it's very different to the, the secondary environment. Um, just the way that you word things, your, your demonstration, your instruction is all going to be very, very different um, to what you do in a secondary school. So explain a little bit of what your role is out there because yeah. the school works a little bit different. Yeah, it works a bit there. different. So like in a high school where sort of everything's specialised, um, it sort of works a bit similar in this primary school. So you've got a, a normal classroom teacher and then you've also got specialist teachers. So you've got a specialist arts, um, you've got a specialist English teacher, maths teacher, there's Mandarin, French teacher, um, music and then PE. So yeah, I guess uh, it is like a mini high school, I guess, um, but they still have that one core classroom teacher that they go to. So our lessons run... We get two 45-minute uh, PE lessons, so we're outside um, practicing and implementing the skills um, of movement, and then we get uh, one 30-minute uh, health lesson per week. All right, so yeah, it is pretty much like a, a mini high school. Mm, yeah. What do you think, well, for you personally, what was the toughest thing of going from? Yeah. Because I would think our whole master's was based around secondary teaching so you learn the secondary syllabus yeah and that's the thing you learn the syllabus for secondary you don't really like you might cover it in one lecture once in your whole university career so yeah, it was a little bit a bit tricky for for me coming into it but I had a really good support network at the school so when I it came down to programming and, and things like that it was um fantastic they were very very keen to help me um, get started with all that because yeah I had to sort of rewrite all my programs because all the programs I'd sort of set up through university um, were all geared towards secondary education so now sort of scaling them back and you, you do the same sort of skills you, you've still got sort of throwing and catching and you go into your, your different sort of sports and and, um, and and movement activities but you really got to be careful in the way that you uh, demonstrate and instruct um, because some of the things that you might take for granted in the secondary setting, these these students in the in the primary school have have never come across those before. It's all new concepts to them. What other pieces of advice do you think are important for? Because I know I know people that have transitioned from high school to primary mm, school. Yeah. What do you think is important for them to take into account when they make the transition or are thinking about making the transition? Yeah, I reckon just just chat to people, have a have a good chat and. And discussion with uh, with your peers, your colleagues, um, that'll be the, the best way. So you'll find that lots of teachers are, are very keen to help you out because they know that you're you're a, a, a new teacher um, and they know what you're going through at the time. Everything's new to you. The setting where you know you've got to plan lessons, you, you've got to be accountable for the, the students' learning. Um, it's it's all new. So. Yeah, having that really good support base with your colleagues is, is one of the biggest things. And then just do your own research. So get online and, and look at other um, other things. So if you go through, like TESS is a good website for resources um, and all those sort of things. Um, yeah, just using different resources that you can uh, to come up with your own programming. So in saying that, I guess, I know well, the primary school teachers that I know mm. are very reluctant to get involved in the PE, especially yeah. the physical element of it. Um, 
So, yeah, so I think I'm pretty blessed in that regard though. So the school that I'm at is really pro sort of physical activity and things like that. So when they, when they come to employing new teachers, um, the, one of the things that they ask is, is if they're comfortable um, to, to get into the pool and assist with uh, swimming carnivals and, and learn to swim programs. Um, so yeah, for, for some teachers that could be a big deterrent. They, they would not want to jump in there and assist with that. But even just in the, the lunch times and, and, and recess at school, the, the girls are encouraged to bring their scooters and, and, um, and scoot around the school. Not the tail whip. Right, the tail whip, the scooter gang, they're all out. But we've even introduced skateboarding at the moment. So I've been out there most lunchtime skating around the, yeah, the courts and things like that. So Not the kickflips. Yeah, kickflips, kickflips kick for days. So, uh, yeah, bringing back the, the memories of a, a 15-year-old skater. Yeah, the pop shots. Yeah, I'll try. I'll <laughs> give it a crack. I'm not that great, but yeah. Um, back to the syllabus, I guess. So as you said, uh, secondary syllabus is mm. what you studied at uni, yeah. obviously being master of secondary teaching. How do you go, or how did you go about implementing this new syllabus? Well, even then, we, we came out, and, and when I started working at the school, it was still running off the old PE syllabus. So we've only recently in the last, well, at the start of this year, we've rolled out the new PE syllabus for primary. So I'd done a lot to change my programs and alter them to the old primary syllabus. And now we're coming up and, and, and recreating the, the, the programs for the new syllabus. So it's been, it's been pretty heavy, uh, especially as a new teacher. I've had to change and alter my programs a, a fair bit lately, but it's been great to get new creative ideas and, and uh, bounce ideas off my colleagues in the staff room and, and chat to other people um, out in different schools as well to see what works and what I can try. And, you know, if you try and it fails, like, you know, keep your head up. It, it's bound to happen um, and use that as a learning experience. Did you just have designated times where you uh, planned to implement it? Yeah. And design so, programs um, and stuff? We had a few PL days that were all based around the planning for the new syllabus. Um, where we had people out from the AIS and they assisted with um, sort of getting to know the syllabus and, and making us really aware of the changes in the syllabus. So ultimately, like, the syllabus, it's not too different to what the old one is. It, it just gives each school a lot more freedom now to focus on issues and ideas that are, are really key to them. So, you know, if, if, if something doesn't really... Um, doesn't need to be discussed in too much detail in that school you cover it but you can look at things that are really impactful at the school so you can look at things like online bullying you can look at all those sort of discussions um in a way that that's really impactful to each school yeah yeah so we're in quite a similar uh similar position where our programs and units were pretty recent anyway mm. i think they're like two years old yeah. so and being New South Wales, I feel the New South Wales syllabus was already very close yeah, to what the Australian one is. Really, in comparison to a lot of other states. So, so I know we had still had days where we programmed and implemented, and we used a lot of our um, faculty time mm. of PD days to really work and do it because obviously you have to implement seven and nine this yeah. year, but. Um, yeah, there's a lot of planning, a lot of stuff that went into it, obviously. But I think the big thing that I really enjoy about it is like what you mentioned. You have a bit of wiggle room in terms of you can really highlight and focus the problems at your school mm. and in your local community. Yeah. I know um, mental health is a big one, especially in the secondary sector. Yeah. And so we've been in contact with our local headspace mm. and getting data sets to then... Uh, yeah, in, uh, inform our programming. Yeah, and that's what the research sort of shows that if you can make it very specific to the learning needs of your students, like you're going to have far greater learning outcomes. There you go. Yeah, you're going to have far greater learning still outcomes. Still staticky. So if you're. No. No? We're on? Are you good now? All right. So yeah, we're just sort of saying. Sorry like, about that. Yeah, that's all right. We're, what is it, episode three? Yeah. Still working out still the Still got a few teaming problems. But um, yeah, as long as uh, you can make that really individualized and personalized um, learning experience for the students, they're going to achieve a lot more than if it's something that's not relevant to them at all. Yeah, no, 100%. 
Um, I think we are one year down now. Yeah. So I've just yeah. I've just finished my first year of permanent, did yep. casual and stuff before that and temp. So first year down. I think let's try and get into a few, I guess, tips. Yeah. All about right. how beginning teachers. Yeah. What they can do to help them survive their first year. Mm. Well, we've teaching. sort of we've talked about a few. I think that being able to ask questions, that's a great one. Um, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah, like everyone who's there has been through it before, and they're they're more than happy to to help you out with it, with any questions that you got. So, yeah, I think your mentor. So you get a mentor as a beginning teacher, and I think that's what they're there for. Yeah, they're there to obviously guide and mentor you through your beginning teacher years. So they're a very valuable resource to mm. have and they are there to answer questions. I know I asked my mentor 20 questions a day, I reckon. Yeah. Like, you know the little game they used to get? And they asked, it's, yeah. it asks you 20 questions and it guesses what it has at the end? Yeah. It's like that. I ask like right. 20 questions, 100 questions a day and some of them are stupid. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, don't, if you've got a stupid, stupid question, still just ask it, you know, it's better to get that clarification and, and all that than you going unknowing, um, with what you need to do. It's that old, um, teacher cliche, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Yeah, and ultimately there isn't, if you need to ask a question, ask a question, I think yeah, that's what you got to do. This is in the back of the class yeah. and be like, that's not true. Yeah. There are stupid yeah. questions. <laughs> and now you get on the other side and you yeah, go, oh, now really? Like, yeah. Oh man, yeah. this is a really dumb question, yeah. but I don't but know the answer. Ask it. Yeah. I need to ask this. So, so I think, yeah, the don't be afraid mm. to ask questions. There are going to be dumb questions, yeah. but they're there to be answered. Yeah. If you don't know the answer to them, don't be afraid. Yeah. Ask that question, especially your mentor. That's what they're there for. That's what they're there for. And like even even your broader community of um, of colleagues. So ask people in the staff room. They might not be from your KLA, might not be from your school even, just, but just having those good conversations with, with people in, in education um, is a fantastic one because the greater you know, insight that you can get into, into education, the better. Yeah, no, definitely, I think. And that sort of feeds into getting to know your colleagues, don't? Yeah. Don't pigeonhole yourself. Try your best, even if you're not a very sociable or extroverted person mm. take that first initial step to introduce yourself yeah you know initiate conversations and get to know the people that you and work that's it. with you're uh you're, all your colleagues at, at schools are they're all armed with a, an assortment of different resources so i don't know i go to lots of the classroom teachers and they've got awesome resources online for, for different things about health and well-being so i'll use those and, and we'll share different things like different activities that they can use as icebreakers for their classroom so it's really good if you can have that sort of casual conversation with your colleagues and you can broaden your um your pool of resources the, the better it's going to be as you go down the track because i think as you said broaden your network the more people that you have the more people you have to ask questions the yeah. more resources they can provide you but mainly i think as well as a beginning teacher it's a roller coaster oh absolutely is, you're going to get really high highs and you're going to get really low lows so i've, I've cried a few times so mate, like you come off a day where you're just like killed it yeah absolutely yeah. killed yeah. it and you feel amazing you feel on top of the world when you've had an absolute like awesome day but it's not even days. Like I remember, like you'll have days in first two periods. This is going to be a good day yeah, today. Yeah. Recess happens. Periods yep. three and four, you're just like, what just happened? Yeah. So the roller coaster is not a day to day. It's nah, period to it period. Is, it is. Yeah. Like it can change it's, in an instant. Can't yeah. If you're a primary school teacher, like yeah. it could be from your well, lesson one to lesson two. Yeah. You know what I mean, like you. And that, you could, got it because you got to be flexible. You like you need to be because um, if you go in and you've got a, a strict plan that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, you, you gotta, you've got to be flexible. You've got to be dynamic with what you're doing because it can change in an instant. Like, yeah, I think you're right there. I think flexibility is key. I know that especially when I was on prax and, mm. and even now, when you're playing your lessons and you got your stuff and you're ready to go, I run that lesson in my head and there's a way that I want it to go. Yeah. There's a way that I think it will go and then when you get in there... yeah. 
none of the above. Yeah, and that, that, that happens, and even at the moment, just with the weather, um, we've we've had some wet wet days at school. And the thing is, sort of being a primary school, we've only got one hall. It's not the biggest of halls either, and there's a there's limited sort of undercover space there. So all of our lessons are pretty much based at being outside. So once it starts raining, you've got to be flexible. You've got to try and put a PE lesson into maybe a five by five meter sort of space so you really do need to be flexible and just get into that pool of resources and, and use what you can because yeah everything's a, a learning experience yeah. so as a roller coaster goes you go up you go down have a bit of fun mm. have not a bit of fun but if you focus on everything as a learning experience mm. as i touched on in the first episode and i mentioned that white belt mentality if you didn't check it out, what a white belt mentality means, um, obviously in the martial arts community, white belts are beginners, yeah. black belts is uh, the top. If you have that white belt mentality, even as a black belt, you have um, the urge to learn. Because yeah. as a beginner or anything, you want to learn. You're so driven to learn and work your way up those belt system that you're, you do anything to learn and you have to pick and pack um, every knowledge that you can. Yeah. So if you have that white belt mentality, even as like a 20-year experienced teacher, you are constantly searching for new knowledge. Yeah, and you need to. Like if you're trying to instill in your students to be lifelong learners and, and all of that, you need to have that mentality yourself. And you can learn from everyone. It could be admin staff. It could be, it could be anyone in your school. So yeah, having that open mind to, to learn from your mistakes and you're going to make plenty, especially in that first year out. I've, I've made plenty. So... Yeah, being able to learn and, and move on from those um, those mistakes is really critical in, in your success. Yeah, I definitely think that um, embracing your mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Again, everything's a learning experience. You don't learn if you don't make mistakes. Yeah. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to try things. Yeah, try and, and that's the thing, try things because you're never going to know if it's going to work if you don't try it. So there's been lots of times when I've tried something. It might pay off, it might not. But if, if you go back, and I like to do a lot of note-taking, so if I go back, I'll write up a bit of a, a feedback, a bit of self-evaluation of my lesson, and I can have a look at what I found was really meaningful and powerful in that lesson, and then what maybe I, I might have tried, but it, it might have just missed the mark. So I think note-taking could be another one we can add into to those hot tips there. Talking like a self-reflection? Yeah, a bit of self-reflection. Like I know it can be a bit wanky sometimes, and you, you sit down, it's hard to be a bit... Yeah, it's hard to be super critical on yourself, but um, for more you can, yeah, do a bit of self-evaluation, um, probably the better, uh, but also I find just getting someone in to observe your lessons too, lesson, a observations. lesson observation would be a good one, yeah. Lesson observations, I think, are probably one of the best tools, resources, whatever you want to call it, yeah. that you can use as a beginner teacher, mm. especially both someone watching you and you watching someone yeah. else especially if you go across klas so yes, across yeah. different subjects if you're a high school teacher yeah. um but even doing primary though i found like i've sat in on a few lessons for for mandarin and, and different subjects and you learn so much you learn so much about sort of different behavioral strategies or or a way that you can control the class that maybe you wouldn't have thought of before so yeah it, they're very powerful tools to do a, a bit of a lesson ob yeah, I know at school we get, or well, they used our beginner teacher money yep. to give us three, I think it's three periods of fortnight. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning mm. to use those periods as uh, lesson observation yeah. lessons and I go and observe other teachers teach. Um, yeah, just to what... Or even if you, can, if you can coordinate with like your coordinator or your mentor or someone like that and you can get someone to do walkthroughs. I've had a few of those done. So they won't tell you if they're coming to your lesson or not. They'll just uh, come past and, and sort of sit in and, and take some notes. And those ones are really good because they do, they catch you off guard. So you've really got to be prepared and, and know your content and what you're trying to achieve in that lesson. Um, because you know they'll they'll come in and write notes about what they saw in that in that period um, without sort of it, telling. It, I don't know. I quite I quite like them because um, you know it makes me um, make sure that I'm planning and uh, programming correctly so that I know the lesson we're doing this we're going to sequence that so we're achieving something else. Um, 
because I never know when, when someone might come in and, and do a bit of a, a walkthrough and observation. Yeah, no. I think massive is getting observations done. Yeah. But in saying that as well, really embracing PD days. Oh, yeah. Like get around PD days. Like Ultimately, you're going to really broaden your um, professional network and you're going to learn so much from other people. Yeah, no, for sure. I remember I went last year and well, beginning of term four to the um, PDHPE Teachers Association Conference. Yeah. Awesome. Two days, a lot of key, uh, keynote speakers, guest speakers, which were awesome. Good night on the Friday too, I might add. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, plenty of people to listen to and get yeah. um, experiences off. And they're not all teaching based as well, which is awesome. I think they sort of branch out a little bit. I know it. Um, one of them they had like a, a physio yeah, yep. to talk about um, sports med and return to play procedures and oh, stuff cool. like that. So they do branch out a little bit yeah. in terms of those, but professional development days are awesome. That's why oh, you have, they're awesome. I think yeah. as a beginning teacher, you get like 16 grand or something yeah, like yep. funding. So that's what it's there for. It's there for you yeah. to be used as, um, and use that, use that to broaden your knowledge and, and just, you know, get established in, in education. Um, because it can be quite daunting, you know, when you start and you don't really know anyone in the industry. So to have those networks and people to, to talk to is really good. What I want to say is, so in a private school, it's pretty much you have to get involved with the extracurricular in yeah. terms of sport. Yep. Um, I know so that means sort of giving up your Saturday to, to be involved in a school community. Yeah, and I know a lot of people... Um, for them, that's something that they don't really yeah. want to do. Well, what but do I know th- for us, that was something that we we're really keen on doing. What do you think um, is some of the benefits of involving yourself in the extracurricular stuff? Yeah, I found, because that's a big thing, especially being at a, a private school where they place so much emphasis on on Saturday sport and and all these extracurricular activities that work outside of school hours. So you do find yourself being really involved in the community and you become like a really critical part to that. Um, it's been fantastic to build that rapport with the students. So you get to see them outside of the classroom and, and you get to see them in a different light. Um, I definitely yours. think, adding to that, I definitely yeah. think that getting to know kids outside the classroom is where you meet them the best. Oh, it's massive. You really get to know what they're like as a human being. And, and not just what they're like in that little room or in your class. For some reason, I don't know what it is, but once kids get outside of the school, outside mm. of those four walls, yeah. the boundaries, they seem to open up a little bit more. That's and I it. find they you feel build, a lot more comfortable. Yeah, you feel the biggest. You build the biggest rapport with them once you're outside of school, and that's from your extracurricular stuff. So yeah. whether that is, you know, if you run a debating, you, yeah, um, you know, you coach the sporting camps, teams, all that sort of thing. Going to camps, yeah. you, um, excursions, things like that. That's the stuff where you can build the biggest rapport with the mm. kids. So I think as a beginning teacher, as a teacher in general, really, yeah. you want to get involved as much as you can, yeah. as much as your schedule obviously allows, into the extracurricular stuff, whether it yeah. is coaching, whether it is excursions, whether it is camps. Yeah, you, and that's critical, I think, because um, you can build a really good relationship then with the parents um, and you've got these good channels of communication with both parents and students that way. Um, which you'll find is going to be a lot easier for you when you're in the classroom once you get to know your students like that. Um, yeah, it's a big demand because um, you even if you're going on a camp, you might be away from home for three nights or so or a week. Um, but really, it's such a valuable experience that I think you really got to get in there and do it. Yeah, no, for sure. But I think the biggest takeaway for beginning teachers mm. is planning. Plan yeah. ahead of time. Like, planning will be your best friend. I know when I started this permanent position, I spent the... So I started being a term two. I spent mm. the first... like, well, Sorry, the, the holidays before I started just programming. I know I, yeah. pro- I programmed um, so much stuff. So I had it there already. I know that we already had programs yeah. as well, but... And if you know where your lessons are going to go and you can sequence them correctly, it's going to be a lot easier for yourself. I just found it opened opened up so much more time for myself because there's so much stuff that goes along with teaching that no one sees unless you're a teacher. You don't get told about it when you're you're learning and and at uni. The amount of admin work that goes into being a teacher is pretty outrageous. Fifth week in, 
to my contract to the job mm. and I'm writing reports like I've never written yeah. reports in my life I know. Yeah. so and that's so time consuming it's yeah. so like reporting is not very fun massive. Yeah. but it's a massive job and you know what I mean if you have to do reporting and you have to plan your lessons on top of that you, you're going to get swallowed by the amount of work yeah yeah so having those plans set in place that you, yeah, you've done that prior planning you're going to find it a lot easier when it comes to report writing and all these critical things that come up um, in in the term and in the semester. So, yeah, I think planning will be pretty key. Yeah, no, for sure. Because I find you get ahead of it and it just opens up so much more time for everything else because yeah. there's so much to do with teaching that oh, no one realises until you get Your teaching day is, is pretty full on. Mate, the teaching day is like... like you get work done before and after school. Mm, I feel like yeah. I feel like, you know what I mean. I get a, if I have a free period off or a period off, I was like, I don't get anything done. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. Even your 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 morning tea and and lunch time sort of gets chewed up too, and and it goes towards you know all these extra things that you do at school. So if you're planning well and um, you've got it all there ready to go, it's going to be a lot easier for you to to teach and then do all the extra things that come along with that. Yeah, no, definitely. I think hit the nail on the head there um we're at about nearly 52 minutes here i think we'll wrap this up for today oh, nice. so mate good discussion it's been fun thank you for coming on no worries first guest yeah, mate, first guest. guest on the teacher diaries podcast good. so i really really appreciate you coming on um if you haven't already please follow the socials the teacher diaries on facebook at teacher diaries podcast on instagram and the Teacher Diaries podcast on YouTube. Please get around, share it, like it, engage with us. Um, really, really wanting to get this out to help as many teachers as possible. I hope you really like this episode, mainly targeted, I guess, as pre-service and beginning teachers yeah. on, I guess we'll call it surviving your first so yeah, year. surviving the first year. But again, really, really um, be appreciative if people can share this and get this around, and especially to those who you think may benefit from it. Um, where can people find you if they have any questions for you? Mate, I'm not big on the socials, but if they uh, want to hit us up on Instagram at ebalk93, um, they can do that. And I'm, yeah, I'm very happy to, to answer any questions that come my way. Share some resources. Yeah, mate. Easy. All right. Again, guys, thanks for tuning in. Um, this was uh, take two of episode three. Unfortunately, first take our camera died yeah first take uh went a bit astray but yeah but i guess got there. third time's the charm yeah, mate. Third right. time's the charm got it since we did have a very um awkward <laughs> uni assignment we yeah. tried to do a podcast back a couple of years ago so third time's the charm my brother but that's it right. we got there thanks for coming see in see mate money all around me i look like i'm the man yeah but i was down and out like last week tell me where have you been Like I'm your man, I'm just a fan. You don't hold.